Welcome to Running Up the Score. I'm Alex Kennedy. This is my show that airs every Tuesday and Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Today, I'm joined by a special guest. He is the host and creator of Knicks Fan TV and the NBA Report. He is a host on Sirius XM NBA Radio, and he is CP, the franchise. CP, how you doing? Alex, happy new year, man. Good to be on with you. Happy New Year. This worked, this worked out perfectly. We were already, yeah. you know, had the, we had this scheduled. We were already planning on doing it. And then the New York Knicks make the first big trade of the NBA season. So we have plenty to talk about. Uh, let's start there. Now, they acquire OG and Anobi. Uh, I think OG had been linked to the Knicks for like two years now, three years. It's been, you know, a while now. Uh, so a lot of people, you know, kind of saw this coming. What, were you, what was your first reaction? You know, your first impression of the trade when it went down? Uh, stunned. I, I was stunned because, you know, my thoughts on the trade really evolved from when it was rumored a couple of years ago to now, because back when the rumors first first uh, started coming out, it was initially that said that, you know, the Raptors wanted three first round picks for. Him. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that, I said, look, we need a wing. Yes, he can be that guy defensively for us and spread the court and shoot the three. But for three first round picks and then have to sign him to a big deal. I didn't, I didn't like that at all. I, I, I was against that. But then hearing that it was for RJ Barrett, Emmanuel quickly on the second round pick, I thought it was a good deal for the Knicks. And I thought it was necessary at the time, because if you look at the way things transpired over the last year or two, uh, with the quickly contract negotiations breaking down before the regular season deadline, it just moved him a little bit closer out of the door. It's not clear if, if he would have left and restricted free agency, but it certainly wasn't a good sign that they couldn't reach a deal. And then with RJ, you know, despite the fact that, yes, in the playoffs last year, especially second round against Miami, he really played well. And in the first round against Cleveland, it just, it just didn't seem like the Knicks were, were set on him really being in their future core. You know, putting him in the Donovan Mitchell trade two years ago kind of gave you that indication that if they can upgrade, they will upgrade. And so for this Knicks team, they needed an upgrade defensively. You know, there were holes all around the team, but especially on the defensive end, they had to do it. They had to improve their three-point shooting efficiency, and and Ananobi certainly helps. Yeah, I was on your show recently, and we talked about just the Knicks defense and how they've been struggling so much. The Mitchell Robinson injury makes things worse. Now he's out yeah. for the season. So I understand, you know, finding arguably the best perimeter defender, one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA, you know, kind of looking at him as the solution. Um, what are your thoughts on them giving up quickly? Because I was kind of surprised right after the trade happened, the conversation online was I saw some people saying that quickly was the best player in the trade. And I thought that was kind of crazy. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a fan of quickly. I think he's improved a ton and he has a ton of potential going forward, too. But were you kind of surprised by how people were talking about this trade right afterwards and just the the, the conversation surrounding quickly? Yeah, I, I thought, you know, a lot of people from, from the Raptors side and the Knicks side were, were saying that, you know, RJ is more of a throw-in in this trade and that the Raptors really wanted quickly. But look, I, I think fit has a lot to do with, you know, uh, the success of trades. And for the Raptors, I think they looked at these two guys as uh, guys that can help them improve offensively and see what the future might hold. You know, maybe Siakam is next out the door, so they wanted to evaluate some young talent there. But, you know, from a quickly standpoint, I was still surprised because – I thought, or at least I had hoped that the Knicks would keep him, extend him. And then, you know, is it, is it a trade down the road uh, that gets them an, an upgrade at the expense of, of quickly? I, I thought that that would be the scenario where, you know, they would still have him. He's an important piece off of their bench, an important two-way player, missed the fourth quarter for them. But, you know, they, they saw they saw otherwise and, and had to uh, had to make the move. 
I'm curious. There's a lot of talk about the CAA connection. Uh, you know, Leon Rose was with CAA. Uh, there's a lot of deep connections and deep ties in that organization. Uh, and it's not the first time the Knicks have done that. I feel like years ago, too, when like Amari was there, they had a lot of guys uh, that, you know, shared relativity, you know, Amari's agency. You had Iman Shumper, Sean Williams. There was like a bunch of this isn't the first time we've seen the Knicks kind of have a, a, a ton of deep ties to a certain agency. But there's been a lot of talk about the CAA connection. So do you kind of think that they they understand going in what OG's price is going to be in free agency? Yeah. Uh, and they kind of had to factor that in going into this trade? Yeah, uh, trust me, Leon, Leon and Sam Rose have already discussed that uh, during, during the holidays at the dinner table. You know, <laughs> right. father and son have, have already, I, I believe they already have a framework for a deal in mind. They wouldn't have done this trade if they didn't feel like this was going to be the next step in signing him long term. You know, what that number will be, we will be left to be seen. But I absolutely think the CAA connection is really, you look at all the moves that uh, Leon Rose's regime has made in terms of the big ticket acquisitions uh, from when Julius Randle was with CAA, you know, signing that deal, uh, the extension under CAA, bringing in Jalen Brunson, bringing in Rick Brunson, drafting Obi Toppin, who at that time was represented by Sam Rose as well. You know, the, uh, people thought you had other options like uh, Devin Vassell, you had Halliburton there, also CAA guys, but they, they chose to, to go with, uh, with Obi Toppin there. Josh Hart, also represented by CAA. So, uh, you know, when, when Ananobi did switch agencies over the summer, I, I guess we should have expected this, right? Yeah. Backdrop of the trade rumors as well. But uh, not too many people felt like this was going to be an eventuality, especially with the lawsuit and the, the uh, supposed bad, bad blood between the two organizations. Right. The lawsuit is a, a whole other <laughs> factor in this that, you know, yeah. is interesting. It's a very interesting trade for a lot of reasons. But yeah, I saw uh, Jake Fisher of Yahoo Sports reported that, you know, in the offseason when OG was changing agencies, he had kind of said that he wants a bigger offensive role and he wants close to 40 million annually. But if he could land in New York, he'd be willing to take a little bit less. And so the fact that he goes with CAA makes a lot of sense, you know, if that was his goal to get to New York. And it sounds like he is willing to take a little bit less if he's in New York. So I think that bodes well for Knicks fans and kind of this upcoming free agency. Um, he, we, he had his debut last night, finishes with 17 points, six rebounds, three threes, two steals. He shot really well from the field, 58.3%, and then shot 50% from three. He was moving a lot. I saw after the game, Jalen Brunson said, you know, I, I don't yeah. know what I'm doing out here, so I'm just going to cut a ton, yeah. which is a yeah. smart approach. If yeah, People don't talk about this enough. Like, it's so hard to change teams midseason, not even on the court. You know, on the court, obviously, you know, you have no chemistry between your teammates. You don't know the system, anything like that. But then off the court, too, you know, you're trying to find a place to live. And, you know, I, I think the team can provide, like, a hotel, a hotel room for like the first 30 to 60 days or something. But there's a lot going on when you're changing teams midseason, especially if you're like a star player, focal point. It's not easy. What did you make of his debut and kind of what we saw from this Knicks team and the, and the big win over this Minnesota team that's been really, really good this season? As advertised, man, it, it was incredible. I mean, the first thing you notice is the, the size, you know, notice, noticeably bigger. And, and this is a Knicks team who you've been watching for the last two years. Has, they've been undersized at the wing with going to R.J. Barrett there. You go to the bench, they're even more undersized with Josh Hart. You know, a, a good defender in, in his own right, but they don't have the size. They don't have the wingspan. They don't have athleticism. And so that that's what you saw with O.G. Ananobi there. You know, he, he's making it hard for Anthony Edwards. Can't stop him because Ant-Man is still Ant-Man, but... He's making it tough for him, trying to keep him out of his spots. And the next thing you know, you know, he's got his hands up 
smothering Carl Anthony Towns, forcing turnovers and getting the Knicks out on the break. And then on, on the offensive end, being the floor spacer, the corner three threat that the Knicks also need. You know, bringing in DiVincenzo was also big in that regard, but having OG in there in that lineup, now you can space the floor even more and allow Jalen and Julian to, to operate. And, you know, you saw the plus 19 on the on the box score, but then when you look at the eye test, you saw it as well. The, the game changed when he went out in the middle of the first quarter and Minnesota and Ant-Man started to make their run. Then he comes back in the second quarter and the Knicks just take off from there. You know, you, you could just see every time he left the game, uh, the, the game went in the other direction. Yeah, I think his energy is contagious for sure. Like defensively, you know, the, the movement offensively. I was really impressed watching him. Um, I'm curious, like, what is the ceiling for this Knicks team going forward now? Because you and I just talked a lot about this Knicks squad and kind of where they go from here. But now I think this changes everything. We haven't even mentioned they also acquired Precious Achua, Malachi yeah. Flynn. Uh, when you look at this team as a whole now, and I think uh, Shams today actually uh, talked about how they want to get Quentin Grimes more involved. And part of this trade was they really believe in Grimes and they want to give him more minutes going forward. So when you look at this new new look Knicks team, you know, what is the ceiling? What do you think this team can accomplish? Yeah, well, as I said, offensively at right now, when, when you have Ananobi out there and DiVincenzo being able to space it out there, and it seems to have made Brunson and Randall even better playmakers. I mean, Brunson in that win against uh, the, the Timberwolves had about 13 or 14 dimes. First time a Nick has had double-digit assists, I, I think, in a number of years. I mean, it's it's been that long. So, uh, you know, to have bona fide options out there that can spread the floor for you and get your effective field goal percentage up. That was one of the things with the Knicks. Uh, in terms of their, their lack of shooting efficiency, they just didn't have enough guys that you that can get you efficient shots. And with Ananobi, it's not just from three, but also at the rim. You know, his efficiency at the rim is, is certainly a, a plus factor for them. Now, where things get dicey is with the bench, because as we said with Emmanuel quickly, you, you leave it a huge void. On, on on your bench, uh, the the spark plug off the bench. You know he's the guy that that ran the whole second unit. And Deuce McBride, he's got the contract extension, three years, thirteen million dollars. But it's it's just not the same punch that quickly can provide. And so they're going to have to figure out if McBride can take another step up, or if they're going to have to go out there and get help before before the trade deadline. So you know I, I think right now. If it's not a big ticket acquisition, I still think this team can be a first round, potentially second round team and then take it from there. Keep building from there. Well, that's my next question for you, because there's been a couple of reports now that they're not done making moves. I think Ian Begley said that this, you know, is the first move, but there's other moves that are likely to come. Yeah. Uh, Michael Scotto from Hoops Hype reported, you know, I think he talked to a number of executives and talked about kind of where they go from here. And they're, they've been linked to DeJounte Murray and a number of other players. And, you know, he kind of talked about how they still have the assets to go out and make another move. Um, what would you like to see the Knicks do in terms of secondary moves uh if this is their big acquisition or again if they can still go get someone like a Dante Murray that's a huge game changer for this team you know what do you think the Knicks should do from here yeah they're missing another shot creator especially in quick you know you, you took a lot of offense away and it's a lot of shot creation away in trading Emmanuel quickly and RJ Barrett and so how they replenish that is going to be left to be seen that that's definitely the void there I still think that they're, they're going to wait for a Donovan Mitchell type of trade I know the Cavaliers are not set on trading him according to Mark Stein. They're not uh, motivated to trade him this year, but I think that could happen in the off season or, or beyond. I still think that's their big ticket wish. Now, Jajate Murray would be interesting because as we talked about the void, especially off the bench, 
you know, in, in having a, a solid playmaker and a legitimate scorer, DeJounte Murray coming in, it'd be interesting to see how he pairs with Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson. A lot of the knocks on him is that he and Trey Young couldn't coexist in that, in that backcourt. So now coming to the Knicks, playing with two more ball-dominant stars, what is DeJounte Murray's ideal role, an ideal fit on this team? Certainly brings the athleticism. You love that. Uh, 20 points per game. His three-point shooting numbers have improved. So all that is good. But where where does he fit the most? Would it be pairing with Jalen and Julius? Or would it be off of the bench? What, what, do, what do you think about Murray uh, with, with this unit? Yeah, I, I think if you're bringing DeJounte, I can't imagine they'd be bringing him off the bench. Uh, I, I think they'd... But you're right. There is concerns about the fit there. Um, yeah. So that's why I'm surprised that, you know, they've been linked to him. I, I guess if he's available, you have to make the call and, and see what it would cost and kind of weigh your options there. But yeah, I think he would probably be... If they're going to go out and, and acquire him and, and think about what Atlanta gave up to get him, they're not right. going to give him away for cheap to give him, right. you know, all the picks and everything they gave up. So I'd imagine if you're going to go out and actually add a DeJounte Murray, then you're going to be starting him. But yeah, I mean, I think there are legitimate concerns about, you know, what he would look like in that starting lineup. Um, you know, from a talent standpoint on paper, it, you know, it'd be crazy. But yeah. you're right. There are some things about, you know, who has the ball in their hands in terms of their role and kind of how they spread things around. It would be interesting. Um, that's why I'm wondering, you know, if, you know, DeJounte is the right option for them, especially with, yeah. again, just how much they have to give up. Um, Donovan Mitchell would make more sense. I think you're right about that. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think it really depends. It sounds like Cleveland isn't willing to move him right now. Maybe that changes between yeah. now and the deadline or in the offseason. But yeah, I think Mitchell would make a ton of sense. Is there anyone else that kind of jumps out of you? It doesn't have to be a star player either. Is there any role players or, you know, I, I guess, or even just a, a certain like archetype that you'd be looking yeah. for? Yeah. I mean, certainly off the bench, somebody that can play, make, knock down the outside shot. And again, add to your defense, continue to add to your defense. You know, so people, people get all me because I'm a, I was a big Alec Burks fan when, uh, when he was with the Knicks, not a defender, but he's a, you know, a good outside shooter, but Detroit seems dead set on, on keeping him in, in Bogdanovich. Um, are there some cheaper options that they can bring in as a backup one? I, I like a guy like Amante Morris a good three and D player, nice tough guard that you can bring off the bench. But again, where, where does Detroit want to go with that? He's in the last year of his deal, $9 million. Uh, you know, is a THT a guy that they can get, you know, some, some of those on the margin deals is what I'm thinking. Not so sure they go for DeJounte Murray type, but could it be one of those margin deals? That's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking about. I, th I saw, I think it was like, you know, two, three weeks ago, maybe. Maybe it was a week ago. Time is crazy, um, especially around the holidays. But I saw Stephen yeah. A. Smith had a, a comment about Isaiah Hartenstein, and it was blowing up, and everyone was, you know, he was talking about like, oh, now I got to watch this guy, and, I, and talking yeah. about how he hates watching Isaiah. But I love this guy's game. I, I'm kind of biased. I have him in a dynasty fantasy basketball league, and so I've been a huge fan yeah. of his. Like, I love the passing. I love the the rebounding, shot blocking. I think he's one of the best backup bigs in the league. And then he's played well since stepping into the starting lineup. You know, what are your thoughts on his game and, and that yeah. comment from Stephen A? And I know a lot of Knicks fans are like, are you even watching the games if you're, you know, blaming him right now? Yeah. I, I think he's been fantastic. What are your thoughts? Yeah, Stephen A doesn't watch the games. He doesn't have time to watch <laughs> the games. I mean, if you really think about it, you look at Stephen A's day in terms of making content, there's no every day. There's no way he, he has time to even be watching games. So, you know, that comment is just is just indicative of such. But iHeart, you know, I've been a fan of iHeart since before he came to the Knicks. He was one of the players that I liked him and Kelly Olynyk as kind of a change of pace center for the Knicks to kind of counter what Mitchell Robinson brought. 
and they came in, they they signed Isaiah Hartenstein. First half of last season, he really he struggled. I was like, man, I don't know what is this guy. But from the second half on, man, he settled in. His chemistry with the team is is evident. They're ex- they've expanded his role every game. You know, you see him passing out of the pinch post. He's much more aggressive on the boards defensively in the Timberwolves game. Three blocks, three steals, three assists. I mean, that's what that's what you wanted from Hartenstein was to be that energy guy for you. But now he's he has an even more important role. But you know, again, when we talk about the spacing for the offense. Now you have him out there with Ananobi, with DiVincenzo. I think it's really intriguing to see how just that five right there continues to grow until you you figure out where you're going to go next. Yeah, he can do a little bit of everything. Uh, I'm a big fan of his. Uh, I do think he's better as a backup big, but he can step into that role when needed. Um, Precious Achua is interesting to me. I know a lot of Raptors fans liked him because of his energy and, you know, he has some really big games, uh, you know, not that consistent, I would say, but he, he's kind of up and down, but, uh, the hustles there, you know, he's a solid defender, solid rebounder. You know, he's been a pretty reliable role player, uh, throughout his career. Uh, and then Malachi Flynn, I know a lot of Raptors fans <laughs> didn't like him. There were some issues yeah. there. Uh, and just, I, I think they were frustrated about his development or lack thereof. And, and you know, the fact that when he came in, he had all his potential and just hadn't really realized that. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on those pieces? Yeah, with Precious, you know, Knicks have had a history of those guys, whether it's like a Jerome Williams, you know, the, the high energy guy. And like you said, they'll have up and down games, but their hustle and their energy, it, it will be consistent. And those are the lunch pail guys that can can really become fan favorites at the Garden. And so for Precious, just being a depth piece in the front court. Now, yesterday's game against the Timberwolves, he's kind of overmatched by Gobert. But look, he, he's six foot eight more slider of frame, I think he'll have his advantages in, in other games. So uh, I liked his pickup because the Knicks needed a front court depth in, in the worst way. I'd still like to see them go out and get even another guy, you know, either, either a five or a four just to help with some rebounding and some more defense and depth as well. Uh, but with Malachi Flynn, I, I was never really too high on him. Uh, I can see why the Raptors fans weren't either. I'm not so sure if he will jump Deuce McBride in the pecking order. I think Deuce will will get a longer look, especially on the heels of this extension. And on on top of that, they could go out there and get another piece by the deadline. I I think that backup point guard spot is pretty vital right now. So uh, who knows? You know, maybe Flynn does get a look, but I think they'll either go experience or see if McBride can kind of take take that over. Jalen Brunson, you mentioned earlier, you know, how well he's been playing, averaging almost 26 points per game, 6.2 assists, four rebounds, one steal, uh, shooting 43.1% from three. I've been so impressed with him and just the the leap he took. I mean, we already saw him kind of make that leap into stardom, but to get even better this season has been super fun to watch. And, uh, you know, he's a ton of fun. What are your thoughts on kind of his game? And again, not to just throw all of the different Knicks narratives at you, but yeah. there has been the conversation, you know, is he the 1A? Is he better as a 1B? Um, what are your thoughts on that debate as well? Yeah, I, I think it's it's interesting, man. It, it's very interesting, but it's like, it, it's something that the national media likes to latch onto because, you know, the, the only angle that they go on their shows is, you know, will the Knicks win a championship tomorrow? <laughs> you know what right. I mean? So, that's why the conversation is always shaped around there. But look, I mean, you ask any Knicks fan when, when he came here, he changed the whole team. He turned the whole team around. Uh, 
And, and now you have both him and Julius Randle playing at an all-star level. Those have been the constants this season as, you know, th- there's been change all around them. These two guys are still playing at a high level and getting better. Uh, I want to see these guys playing more off of each other, man. I just don't see it enough. Even you watch it in the Timberwolves game. Yeah, there were moments here and there, but it's not it's not fluid. It's it's not smooth. And so I, I really want to see them continue to, to develop chemistry on the offensive end because I, I think that two-man game can be potent. But for Brunson, I think when you look between last year and this year, one of the most noticeable improvements is, is his pull-up threes. I mean, he, he's stepping into those things and, and snapping the nets on those. You know, his three-point shooting, as you said, 43% from downtown. It, he took a step up in volume last year, obviously as a starter, uh, but his efficiency was good last year as well. And, and now he's getting even better. So uh, great to see him operating. And again, with the additions of DiVincenzo and now Ananobi, getting you some bona fide knockdown corner three-point shooters, you have to expect his assist numbers to go up as they did in, in against Minnesota. I, I don't think that's an aberration. Uh, I think that'll be the norm, especially with those guys being more reliable options in the corners. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, I'm curious, what is the your reaction or um, perception, and what's the fan perception of Leon Rose and the jobs he job he's doing, and then also James Dolan? For years, you know, it felt like Knicks fans were very frustrated with the front office and ownership, and I think you know it was understandable. Um, now it seems like Dolan's kind of taking a backseat and is you know less involved and is kind of trusting this the front office kind of do their job, and and Rose seems to be doing a solid job, at least you know from the outside looking in. What is the fan perception and your perception of uh, front office and ownership and how they're doing? Yeah, I, I would say up until the Ananobi trade, I think frustration was starting to mount, especially, you know, they lost those two games on the road against OKC and the Magic, where it kind of just looked, it, it, especially with, with Mitchell Robinson being out, it just looked like there were so many holes in the boat, man. There was just so much, so many areas that they needed to address. And the fan reactions were, you know, what's Leon doing? The Celtics are improving. The the Milwaukee Bucks are improving. These these guys have been to the finals or won the finals, r- respectively. Everybody's, you know, all these teams, all these are, are who were contenders are continuing to try to improve. So what are the Knicks doing? I think that also took on uh, a life of its own in the national media as well. So fans were starting to sour on Leon Rose. But, you know, one thing you can say is that they've been patient They've been diligent in their approach. I, I like the way that they try to maneuver in terms of making sure that they maintain salary cap flexibility. And, and they've just been patient. They haven't hit the panic button just yet. The drafts, it's, it's been up and down. They haven't necessarily hit in, in lottery range. But if you look at the back end of the drafts, uh, Walt Perrin and, and that group has been as advertised. When you look at the drafting of, of Quickly, uh, McBride is filling a role now. Quentin Grimes was picked in the back half. They have Rokas Yakubaitis as a draft and stash pick. So, you know, the draft record, I think, has been mixed. But I think now with this Ananobi trade and seeing them addressing fit and looking at how they played, uh, against the Timberwolves, I think the optimism has, has peaked back up. And from a Dame, James Dolan standpoint, they've they're running they are running things clean. There's no drama. There's yes, you don't hear from him, but that's fine. You know, there, there's no scandal. They they're trying to manage things the right way, and they make the play. They made the playoffs two out of the three years. So <laughs> for James Dolan, hey, the coffers uh, are filling up. Yeah, the, the spear's going on, and he's, he's got a competent management group trying to do their thing. 
So I, I don't see any reason for him to to, uh, to to get involved right now. Right. Um, we've talked about this trade a lot from the Knicks side of things. I'm curious, you know, we, we mentioned quickly and what you like about him and, and RJ. When you look at their fit on this Toronto team and kind of what this could be for them going forward, you know, there's an opportunity, especially if they, they move Pascal Siakam, for both of these guys to kind of take on bigger roles and, and you know, potentially uh, have the ball in their hands more and put up bigger numbers. You know, what are your what are your thoughts on their fit and kind of what this could mean for those guys going forward? Yeah, it's, you know, one of the things, especially where RJ was concerned was it was a concern the the fit with Ian Julius Randle here because they were also two players that never really played well off of each other. The only time they did was the the COVID year with the empty seats. And that year, RJ Barrett shot like 40% from three. Julius Randle was playmaking out of his mind. They just, they had it. They had a connection there, but they never got that back. And it just seemed like it was just, you know, my turn, your turn. A lot of times, R.J. Barrett had to be showcased with the Knicks' second unit to kind of have his opportunity to run the show with quickly as well. And so now he gets that with Toronto. As you said, if they move on from Siakam, hey, it becomes a, a, a Scotty Barnes, R.J. Barrett, and maybe Emmanuel quickly ticket if he if they choose to sign him, which I would have to think if they make a trade like that, uh, that they believe their chances are good. So, you know, both of those guys have an opportunity to to showcase themselves and for RJ proof the naysayers wrong, for quickly also to prove that naysayers wrong. Quickly wants to show that he can be a starting caliber point guard in this league. And, you know, Dennis Schroeder's not going to keep that from him. It's up to quickly to, to take that spot. And so they've got the opportunity there to to really, you know, take their career by the reins. They're going to be missed, man. Uh, I, I can't lie to you. You know, watching those two guys, your homegrown talents, R.J. Barrett here for five years, Emmanuel quickly here for four, the year that quickly had for this Nick team last year, uh, finishing in, in six man of the year running, you know, you know, R.J. in the playoffs. I mean, they, they had some some good moments with, with this with this team. And, and you know, it's tough to see two homegrown uh, products walk, walk out the door like that. So it's tough part of the business. For sure. The Siakam situation is so interesting because there's not many notable players that are like being shopped right now. It seems like, you know, I was just at the G League Winter Showcase here in Orlando and talking to executives and people around the league. And, you know, the big talk was that there's so few sellers this season because so many teams think, you know, with the play in especially that they have a chance to either make a run as a contender or at the very least make a playoff uh, run or at least, you know, get their team some playoff experience. Uh, and so in the past, you know, teams that were struggling might look to sell off a few of their veteran pieces or key pieces. Now it seems like a lot of teams are looking to be buyers instead of sellers. So the teams that do emerge as sellers like a Toronto, or I think some people are looking at, you mentioned, you know, Cleveland, Utah, you know, could some of those teams end up becoming sellers? The teams that do step up as sellers, they're going to be able to, you know, get a really nice return for the pieces they give up because there's not a ton of other options to pivot to. And there's going to be a ton of buyers that are kind of bidding for, you know, their key pieces. So Toronto's an interesting spot. I think after this trade, everyone kind of assumes that Siakam is next and, you know, maybe they look to move other pieces as well. And, you know, teams like Philly, Indiana, uh, you know, there's been a ton of teams that have been kind of mentioned. Uh, Sacramento as landing spots for Siakam. Uh, what do you make of Siakam's availability and, and what we could see there before the trade deadline? I think, I think the Pacers should be all over it, man. I, I think the Pacers could use a guy like a Siakam, you know, a, a guy that can help play make. He can run that pace with them. He can defend. Again, positional versatility, you know, the, the way that their defense is so soft, I think he'd be a great second 
guy to uh to to Halliburton. The Kings could use him as well. Although I wouldn't want to see the Kings trade Murray. Yeah, you know, I definitely wouldn't want to see the Kings trade Murray. But the Kings are just they're in a just a very tricky spot because they need to improve their defense tremendously. And, and Sabonis is is the big block there. So how they upgrade, especially in a competitive West, uh, I'm not so sure how they could do that, man. So, you know, uh, Masai should have options. But one of the things, as, as you see with him in this Ananobi trade, he moves He moves at his own pace. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. he moves at his own pace. I mean, this Ananobi trade was was on the burner for uh, two years. The two years and change, and it, there was just no indication of where they would lean. You know, some thought that he would stay, some thought he would go, and and all of a sudden, Masai pulls the trigger. So uh, I think you'll see that with uh, with with Siakam. But you're definitely right in terms of there not being that many sellers because of the playing. You're essentially looking at a ten team playoff now, if you want to consider it that way. And you look at the run that both Miami and the Lakers had last year. Hey, maybe some owners are saying, hey. You know, we, t- we take a chance. Maybe we make it. And by the way, we, we benefit. We get two home games in the playoffs. We, we raise our gate prices and we call it a season. Right. We can figure it out in the offseason. Yeah, it definitely is a factor. And, uh, you know, the trade deadline is always so much fun. All the different moves and everything. And we, we, we did see, you know, a number of moves last year. So there are still some fireworks, but it definitely seems like this year it could be a bit quieter uh, unless some teams, you know, decide to emerge as sellers uh, in the next month, which... You know, right now, it doesn't seem like there's a ton of them. But yeah, the Siakam thing, I had CJ Miles on, I think it was two weeks ago, and uh, he was saying that Indiana is perfect, that he would love Siakam there. They need a shot creator. Uh, and that's one thing Siakam do. You know, he can create his own shot. He's an offensive engine. Uh, I'm a big fan of his game, and I think he would fit there. And then, yeah, you mentioned Sacramento. That makes a ton of sense, too. But the question is, you know, I, I agree. They should not give up Keegan Murray. He's a great fit for them. You know, he's perfect for today's NBA. Um, so do they have the pieces to get a deal done? You know, I don't know if they have that without Keegan and that could be tough, especially if there's going to be a bidding war for Siakam, if a number of teams step up, you know, that's, that's kind of the main piece that I'm, I'm sure Toronto would ask about. I think there was even report that they would start with Keegan and that's who Toronto would want. So yeah, that's a, that's a tough one, but Philly makes sense too. You know, having another piece next to Tyrese and Embiid, like it's, there's a number of teams where it'd be really, really interesting to watch them kind of form a big three with uh, Siakam, you know, Sacramento, Philly, yeah. uh, even Indy. I guess that'd be a big three as well. Like, I, I think uh, he's the the name to watch right now if you're an NBA fan as the trade deadline approaches. I think and the fact that he's a, a free agent, unrestricted free agent after the season that, you know, really makes things interesting because, yeah. you know, Toronto either has to trade him or let him walk for nothing. And then if you're a team that's acquiring him, you know, you basically have to factor that in. Like, okay, well, we don't want to give up too much because he could walk in the offseason. So he right. could be a half-year rental unless, you know, there is some kind of agreement like, hey, we're going to bring you in and re-sign you this offseason. And already kind of, to your point, uh, with OG and the CAA connections, kind of have like a framework of a deal worked out under the table, yeah. essentially. Uh, right. But yeah, it's a very interesting situation. Um, one or two more questions. When you look at the Eastern Conference, is there a certain team that you don't want the Knicks to run into in the first round of the playoffs? Uh, you know, obviously a lot's going to change standing wise between now and yeah. then. Uh, or if there are multiple teams, you know, is there a certain team or multiple teams that you're kind of afraid of uh, entering the postseason? You know, I still have to say the Bucks. I, I still have to say the Bucks. I mean, Boston is Boston. 
right? But um, I think matchup wise, yes, with the with the addition of Ananobi, you have a guy that can you know try to stay in front of Giannis or keep him in front or or guard Damon in times. But you know, I still think at the way that they can get up their offense and, and get those numbers up, I don't know if the Knicks can get into a shootout with, with a team like that. And you know, defensively, do they still have enough? We'll, we'll we'll see. They play each other one more time. I believe it's in April. I believe. Uh, so so I want to see what, what Ananobi uh, and those Knicks look like against the Bucks. But you know, with with no Mitchell Robinson in their last matchup, or not the last matchup, but the the December twenty third Christmas game, you had Isaiah Hartenstein pick up two quick fouls. You know, the the size matchup was a little bit difficult for him, and he's not the most disciplined in, in terms of uh, fouling, and so. I think that Bucks matchup is still a tough one for me. And and even the Celtics, even the Celtics, man, I, I don't see uh, anyone beating them at, at this point right now. They're, they're just a tough team, man, in two ways. It is interesting because there's a lot of teams when you look at the East, like uh, that are talented, but they don't have a ton of playoff experience, you know, like yeah. Orlando, Indiana, um, you know, I, there's a number of teams like that, that, uh, you know, obviously like if Atlanta can climb up a bit, you know, Brooklyn, I, I just don't, I think there's a very few legitimate contenders in the Eastern Conference. So I, I understand the Knicks kind of looking at the East and kind of where they kind of uh, rank in terms of the conference and th- saying, this is a good time to kind of push some chips in the middle of the table and, and try to make a run. Um, I could see them climbing the standings between now and, you know, the end of the season and then, uh, you know, joining that small group of contenders and, and being, you know, because it's, it's, it's really Boston, Milwaukee, Philly. And I do think Philly's going to make some kind of move. Yeah. Uh, Miami, you always have to kind of factor them in. And then I, I think that's really it. And, and I would say Miami's a tier below the, the other, yeah. you know, contenders. Uh, but it, it's an interesting time. I mean, the, the East is kind of wide open. Whereas you look out West, it, it's kind of crazy right now. Um, you know, I think, uh, it's a good time for the Knicks to kind of make this kind of move. And, and I understand the thinking there. Yeah. Likewise, man. And, and as I said, it, it was hard to lose, um, two, two of the young pieces, but, they they really needed a wing. They really needed the wing defense for years now, um, and, and that changes things. And especially with the three point shooting efficiency, yes, you're gonna you, you have some holes, especially on the bench that they have to figure out. But sometimes you're gonna have to take two steps back to take one forward. And if it means improving the fit of your starting five, then you have to do it. You have Jalen Brunson in his prime. You have Julius Randle in, in his prime. You have to make sure that you are offsetting their skill sets with, with players that, that can help them. And, and so that's what they did. For sure. Well, this has been fun, man. I always uh, love chatting with you, talking hoops with you. And uh, it's fun to kind of talk about this Knicks team, especially uh, right after this big move. Tell everyone where they can find uh, your work. Absolutely, man. YouTube.com slash TV. You can also catch us on YouTube.com slash at the NBA report and, and also NBA report and Knicks fan TV on all social media platforms. Awesome. I told you this when I was on your show too, but I want to say it here. I love what you've built, man. It's awesome. Knicks Fan TV is fantastic. You get great guests. You break down the game so well. You can tell the passion is there for, for your team there. So I love it, man. Keep keep doing your thing. Keep killing it. Thanks a lot, man. We got a great community of fans and, and we love collaborating with guys like you, man. Love talking hoops with you on the NBA report. So uh, let's definitely do this again soon. Yeah, absolutely, man. It was a uh, great joining you then. And uh, thank you for joining me today. So If you guys want to hear more episodes of Running Up the Score, you can watch on YouTube, Twitter, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And until next time, thanks for watching.